Yeah. I like to refer to this story as uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus. It's, it's not as catchy of a name or convenient of a number, but the Bible records that there's 5,000 number was uh, just counting the men in attendance, not including the women and children who were, who were there. While I think it would have been no less miraculous if Jesus had fed 30 people with five loaves and two fish, uh, I refuse to continue Bible publishers' patriarchal narrative of the account. There were f- women and children there as well. They ate, they, they, they matter, they count. I've listened to the commentaries provided by those at Luther Seminary who put out this narrative lectionary that Pastor John uses. and I've heard this sermon preached probably half a dozen times in my life. And what I've learned from that is that there are endless ways to exegete this passage of Scripture or to endless ways to look at this story. There's the aspect of what's happening before we find Jesus and his disciples here, John the Baptist being beheaded. When our lectionary passage for today begins with, now when Jesus heard this, the, this being referred to is the news that Jesus received that John the Baptist had been uh, ruthlessly murdered. So some read it as a story of grief and perseverance and radical love and service and how all of those are present in Jesus at the same time. Some have preached on the idea that even Jesus needed to withdraw to a quiet place before he continued his ministry and uh, take kind of a contemplative approach. Uh, And still others have preached uh, on the idea of a humanitarian standpoint, you know, that the call of Christ is to to heal and to feed. Um, And I may touch on that today, but the aspect of the story that I have never personally heard anyone preach on are the miracles themselves uh, that are present in the story. And I have my theories as to why. It may be because it seems like the miracle of multiplying the food is so obviously the main event that it's maybe not worth touching on. Uh, It's not too cryptic, seemingly, upon first read. And Jesus healing the sick in the crowd is a miracle as well, sometimes overshadowed, I think, but it's not exclusive to this passage. That's present in a lot of gospel passages, and most times in more detail than here. I wonder if we've heard this story so many times that the unfathomable miracle just doesn't seem that miraculous to us anymore. My guess is that it doesn't have much to do with this passage in particular, but that some of us just don't know what to do with miracles. Right? The, we don't know how to think about them in a pragmatic, enlightened society. A couple summers ago, I was reading a book called The Little Flowers of St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe some of you have heard it or even read it. <clears throat> the little flowers in the book are the miracles that St. Francis is said to have performed in his travels because of his trust in the Lord. And most of the stories in this book are quite miraculous. And to me, to be honest, a little unbelievable. (laughs) They were written by his followers, which is a little compromising, I think. And I think there's a story where he preaches to the birds and they understand him like as if they can understand him. And then they fly out and make a cross in the air or something like that. And it was in the reading of this book a few years ago that... I had to confront how I felt about miracles because I was just reading pages and pages of them and I don't think that oftentimes we have to confront them them that 
that directly. And so I would have this inner dialogue in my head as I would read this book. I would read an account of a St. Francis miracle, and my first reaction in my head would be, no way, <laughs> that, that, that's no way, that didn't happen. And I would ask myself, well, why not? You know, play devil's advocate. And uh, I would answer myself, because it's impossible. What's being described is impossible. And then I would say, well, you believe in miracles when Jesus does them. To which I would answer myself, well, yeah, that was Jesus. This is, Francis isn't Jesus. And then I would remember Jesus' very own words to his disciples in the Gospel of John. He said, very truly I tell you that whoever believes in me will do even greater things than these. And so that dialogue continues in my head to this day, and I think if we're honest, it probably will forever for most of us. I bring up that story not to get into that conversation here about miracles, but to say that I think the disciples have a similar doubtful mentality initially in our passage today. Not fully thinking it through yet. They do get there, I think. Verse 15 begins... When it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so they may get, go into the villages and buy some food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. See, the disciples aren't God, but Jesus is. That might be obvious. It's kind of a funny sentiment to focus on, maybe obvious, but that's at the heart of the message of the story for me today as I read it and this week. See, I think the, the most commonly missed extraordinary act in a story that's chock full of miracles is on the part of the disciples. That is a miracle made possible by the faith that one would think, if I hand the same food that I'm holding here over to Jesus, something might be different. I think... There's two big misconceptions about miracles in this passage as we read it and about the concept of a miracle today, the idea of a miracle. The first is that belief comes after the miracle. That if God could just prove something to me first, then I would believe that thing that he could do. That God could do, I should say. See, the disciples in this story had to believe first that if they handed over what little they had to God, that a miracle might just happen. My Old Testament professor, Dr. Throntveit, in seminary, he lectures to his classes uh, about the fairly common misconceptions we have and can hold about belief in our culture and in the church. The idea that what constitutes belief is thinking a certain way about a handful of Christian doctrines. That means you believe in Christ. And when he lectures on this topic, he likes to tell this story from a few decades ago when individuals performing tightrope stunts across the Niagara Falls was popular. Someone would start by just walking across. Then another performer would do it blindfolded and so on, each attempt more extravagant than the last. Eventually someone said he was going to walk across the rope pushing a wheelbarrow. A huge crowd gathered. He goes from one side to the other. Everyone's cheering. He says to the crowd, okay, who believes I can go back across now and do it again? A guy in the front row of the crowd says, yeah, I believe you can do it. Go for it. And the tightrope walker says, all right, well, why don't you come up here and hop in the wheelbarrow then if you believe I can do it? <laughs> See, that leads me to my second misconception about miracles is that they're easy. 
See, the disciples had to get into the wheelbarrow, so to speak. They had to hand over the food. And it takes belief to hand over what you've got. I know that here it did, because it's my understanding that this was their food. I don't think the disciples were carrying around five loaves and two fish just in case there were seven hungry people in a crowd of 5,000 plus. And even after that, what, Jesus says the magic words and everyone's stomachs are full? The disciples just hand it over and God will do the rest? The old thoughts and prayers approach that so many politicians love to employ today? Verse 19 reads, Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and the disciples gave the food to the people. See, that's why I say upon first glance, someone might read this passage and think miracles just happen. No, 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 they don't just happen. Miracles take work. It might actually cost you something, and then you might have to go out and put your back into it if you want to see a miracle happen, handing out food to 5,000 plus people. Jesus' multiplication of the food was a miraculous act of God. I don't want us to miss that this morning. Like I said earlier, the disciples aren't God, but Jesus is. But Jesus' miraculous multiplication of the food didn't mean that people were fed. That was the disciples' job to do. And this is still the language that we use today regarding these kinds of situations and issues, right? If I said that we could end hunger and food insecurity within our lifetime, someone might say, oh, wow, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? So how fitting is it for this passage that while the United States government was using the food on thousands of government workers and contractors' tables as collateral during this latest shutdown, that this congregation, in collaboration with other churches, religious groups, and humanitarian efforts, were supporting organizations like the Little Kitchen Food Shelf to provide food for that crowd of food insecure people, if you will. It's incredibly fitting, in my opinion. I wonder how many of those parents directly affected by that shutdown who were wondering how they were going to feed their families that week, looked at that food provided by those organizations and saw a miracle. Scott Bessenecker, a professor and author I heard speak once at a workshop, said, I'll never forget this, he said, I don't think it's the existence of extreme poverty or extreme wealth that breaks God's heart. I think it's the coexistence. I think it's Lazarus at the gates of the rich man that breaks God's heart. So while it is true that we can never forget that it is our job as the church and followers of Christ to feed those who are hungry, like in this story, it is also our job to stand against the powers and systems that make people impoverished to begin with. And if you would like another example of this happening in a really inspiring way, there's lots of we do this, there's lots of churches doing this, but a really inspiring way you can research Dr. Reverend William Barber and the Poor People's Campaign. It's an, it's an incredible movement, and uh, it's a great movement to support, actually. And it's miraculous, really, what they're doing. And see, that's the thing, is that whether you have a strict definition of what a miracle is or a loose one, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus' disciples... Jesus and his disciples feeding over 5,000 people in a deserted place was a miracle. 
And yeah, concepts like eradicating poverty by speaking truth to power and dismantling systems that perpetuate it, some might call that a miracle too. But the thing about our God is, our God does miracles. Matthew 14 tells us that. And they're not figurative, they're literal. But Matthew 14 also tells us that God doesn't do miracles alone. Amen.